Hey everyone, John here, and a quick word before we start. Later in this episode, we briefly bring up the actor Tom Sizemore. And as Sizemore died this week, after we recorded this episode, it felt weird to just leave that there unacknowledged. We'll talk more about Sizemore down the road. He made several 1999 films. And I don't want to use this time to wrestle with this turbulent, traumatic, and complicated personal life. But suffice to say, especially in the 1990s, Sizemore lent his remarkable talent to some incredible work, including his notable turns in Natural Born Killers, Heat, and a beautifully understated performance in Saving Private Ryan. We want to express our condolences to those who loved him, and our hope that at the end, he found the peace he so long sought. 1999 The Podcast is a production of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts on movies, comics, and all things pop culture, head to cageclub.me. To contact us with questions, comments, or just to say hi, send us an email at 1999cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB and Joey at SoulPopped. And you can follow the show on Twitter at 1999thepodcast. To support the show, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by us. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I am John Brooks. And I am Joey Lewandowski. Joey, how are you today? I'm good. I realized I had a glaring omission last episode. Drop Dead Gorgeous, which we all love talking about. Great yeah. conversation. Great movie. <clears throat> Uh, we have a guest in the in the green room here that uh, reacted very positively. You like before we introduce you. No name yet. Thoughts on Drop Dead Gorgeous? Oh, it's a beautiful movie. It's yeah. underappreciated. It's mean. Yeah. It's loaded with like excellent characters. Denise Richards is probably your best performance. Better than Wild more... Things, you think? Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I think she just everyone got it. Everyone got the tone. But I think in '99, with American Pie and a lot of those sort of movies out, they just people watched this nasty little movie and they were kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm glad that's finally getting the, the recognition it deserves because it's, yeah. it's hilarious. It's hilarious. And I will say that the reason I brought it up is because it was already previously covered on this podcast network by high school slumber party once again, and also in a super mix mega mix of Kirsten nuts movies by wistful thinking. So if you want even more insights about that movie, it's been done one and a half other times on the network before. I always like to make sure I shout out the other people on the network who've covered the movies we've covered this one today brand new to us brand mm. Mm. spanking new and whoever that guy was uh before he's gone now he's gone all right that's wow that was very weird this is uh, a movie about sneak attacks so i suppose that that makes sense Ooh, um, topical thematic i like pretty it good segue there anyway today joey we take to the water yeah our movie today stars Saffron Burrows as Gina Davis, Thomas Jane, Michael Rappaport, Stellan Skarsgård, Aida Totoro, Samuel L. Jackson, LL Cool J, and a bunch of sharks. Directed by Rennie Harlan, today we are talking about Deep Blue Sea, or as I call it, Jurassic Sharks. It's very funny to me that like this season is so radically different in tone, because like... This movie is so different from like Jawbreaker and Drop Dead Gorgeous yes. movies we've been doing lately. It's just like, oh no, like the other movies came out that year other than just like high school queer movie. You know what I mean? But it's just yeah. like, but. But not yeah. that different. Not that different from Ravenous in weird ways. No, still people getting eaten. Uh, 
yeah and it sort of lives in a bunch of genres so anyway what joey is deep blue sea all about i did another write down i might i might actually start putting some work into this podcast you know season three start kicking it in all right so here's what i wrote down. i also want to make sure i impress our guest who may or may not still be in the green room in a remote quote-unquote floating alcatraz facility a bunch of scientists are trying to cure alzheimer's by doing experiments on sharks that seems so crazy to start there that we're doing alzheimer's thing all right whatever because this is a perfect 90s action movie things break bad one of the sharks bites off scientist Stellan Skarsgård's arm just as the team of scientists have had a breakthrough. Somehow, the helicopter evacuation goes even worse. A shark grabs hold of the stretcher, pulls the helicopter into the facility's tower, causing lots of explosions. The sharks get aggressive too, pushing our human heroes into scramble mode. We then find out the truth. The sharks' brains weren't big enough for the science they needed, so they made the brains bigger, which made the sharks smarter. Flawless, perfect premise. Yeah. Bad things continue to happen. LL Cool J, who plays a chef with a pet parrot and basically breaks every food, safety, cleanliness law known to man, hides from a shark in an oven. The shark preheats the oven. He escapes, though, blows up a shark. Samuel L. Jackson gives a heroic movie speech, then gets eaten in the middle of it. The rest of the scientists then continue to try to escape, but things continue not to go well. More people die. To save her research, Saffron Burroughs risks it all and electrocutes a shark. Eventually, Thomas Jane, Saffron Burroughs, and LL Cool J escape. They realize, though, that the sharks have only wanted them to escape to the titular Deep Blue Sea. To give Thomas Shane a clean shot, Saffron Burroughs cuts open her hand, uses herself as bait, she gets eaten. Thomas Jane, the world's foremost shark wrangler, does a cool little underwater somersault to dodge a bite, giving LL Cool J the chance to harpoon the shark. Thomas Shane gets hooked too, but grabs onto a fence to escape before LL hits the cable to a battery, exploding the shark. And the movie goes out in closing credits to LL Cool J's deepest, bluest, <laughs> should have been Academy Award winning song. Yeah deepest most bluest sea that's the whole movie i mean i don't know what the sweet spot is for these recaps it's either i say sharks kill people people kill sharks or i do what i did i, I well, can't this is one of those movies where it's like you can't explain it just by explaining some things that happen you have to be like here's everything that happens so that you understand exactly what we're dealing with here because well, if you I haven't think, seen it then i think that what i tried to capture and i think what i think you're saying there is like the plot is very simple. It's very straightforward. There's a bunch yeah. of people doing science and <laughs> things go bad with sharks, right? Yeah. But the actual what happens is fucking insane. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, it was a modest success at the time. Deep Blue Sea was the 29th highest grossing movie of the year, putting it close to the likes of Any Given Sunday, Galaxy Quest, and the Thomas Crown Affair, earning $74 million at the domestic box office on an 80-ish million budget, but going on to take in $165 million worldwide. Opening on July 30th, it debuted in third place behind the number one opening of Runaway Bride and still strong Blair Witch Project coming in uh, number two in its third week. It will continue to stay on the top 10 for a respectable three further weeks. One of the things that makes Deep Blue Sea unique is that while so many of the movies of 1999 were decidedly looking into the future, this movie was looking gleefully and enthusiastically to the past. Writing in Wired in 2016, friend of the show and giant Deep Blue Sea fan Brian Raftery noted that Deep Blue Sea was one of the last movies of its kind, one ubiquitous in the mid-90s, a quote, R-rated B-movie full of gore and chaos and smart stupidness. It felt old-fashioned and anachronistic by the eve of the 21st century, but has gone on to be celebrated as, at once, a shameless facsimile, delightful celebration, and singular exemplar of its specific subgenre. Deep Blue Sea was directed by Rennie Harlan at a make-or-break point in his career, and it's still unclear if it made or broke him. 
Harlan broke out in 1990 when he was given the job as the director of the most high-profile and anticipated sequel of the time, Die Hard 2, taking over from the original's director, John McTiernan. To that point, Harlan's most high-profile job was as director of 1988's A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master. Die Hard 2 outdid its predecessor at the box office, and while it is universally considered an inferior movie, Harlan acquitted himself as a skilled action movie director and followed it up with the hit 1993 action film Cliffhanger. He became best known around that time, however, for his marriage to Gina Davis, with whom he made his next film, 1995's massive misfire, Cutthroat Island, which remains one of history's worst box office disaster, losing around $150 million when adjusted for inflation, only to bounce back with the Shane Black penned modest box office and critical success, The Long Kiss Goodnight, also starring Davis. Deep Blue Sea's success was, interestingly, not all that dissimilar in scale to The Long Kiss Goodnights, and it seemed to cement Harlan as a reliable action movie director. The problem was that the sorts of action movies he made weren't really the box office draws they used to be. And in 2001, his second collaboration with Sylvester Stallone, Driven, which Stallone also wrote, tanked failing to make back its budget and receiving dismal reviews from critics. Since then, Harlan, who now lives in China, has mostly focused on directing television and the occasional foreign films, including 2016's Skip Trace, a movie I'd never heard of but now have to see, which stars Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville and was a huge hit in China, making $136 million on a $60-ish million budget. Our guest is nodding profusely. I think Almost all of that at the Chinese box office where it opened at number one. Go ahead. I think I hadn't heard of this movie either until I had our guest on another podcast and he mentioned this. And I'm just like, wait, what the? That's real? Like, what? Hold on. Wait, what? So, yeah. Listen, I mean, it, it's it's older Jackie Chan, it's older Johnny Knoxville, but the, yeah. the pairing is so inspired. Mm-hmm. And there are a few very, very fun set pieces in the movie that are a genuine delight. Uh, the biggest problem is that it's wildly overcomplicated, but it's still <laughs> like what I, Rennie Harlan, if you when you go through his filmography, it's just yeah. he he really complicates things. And I adore, <laughs> and I, I adore that about him. And uh, but yeah, it's I watched it. I, I hadn't known much about it, but there's like a couple really good gags and they have good chemistry together. And of course, there's a great commentary on the Blu-ray because Rennie Harlan's like one of the best DVD commentary guys on the planet. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, but it's worth a watch. I mean, but like, listen, it, it, listen, it, it's essentially a direct to sort of DVD movie streaming action film. So it's not going <laughs> to it's not cliffhanger, but it's still a lot of fun. Right. And it, it's. Yeah, it's basically a a tour guide of China as they travel all through the country, but it's neat. It's fun. I will also say while we are defending or litigating maybe um, Rennie Harlan, I think Nightmare 4 is very good, and I think Die Hard 2 is the second best Die Hard. Yes, Rennie's a monster, y'all. I I could talk for (laughs) hours about it. He kills people so hard, and he is such... Uh, an action pro and he has such yeah. a delight of cinema that mm-hmm. you can't help but love the guy because he loves movies agreed on on all those points wait do you think that die hard 2 is the second best die hard do you agree with that because that's, a, that's oh, a me oh no 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 i meant all of the our guest points not oh, yours. okay not, not my um, craziness okay, i still God, think okay. i still think die hard 3 is the second best one. i don't fine. like it but okay i get it Critically, the movie did surprisingly well at 60% with 116 reviews. It it gets the bare minimum score for the Red Fresh Tomato on Rotten Tomatoes and holds a respectable 54 score on Metacritic with a 6.6 audience score. The most surprising rating is the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which with more than a quarter of a million ratings is 39%. Newsweek's David Anson gets the highest Metacritic score at 90 and wrote, quote, 
It doesn't really matter if you think Rennie Harlan's Deep Blue Sea is totally preposterous. It will scare you anyway. It makes surprisingly little difference if the laughter it provokes means the audience is laughing at it, with it, or simply because it needs relief from the tension. This highly unlikely story about genetically enhanced sharks that terrorized the scientists who created them is the one summer movie that delivers exactly what it promises, nonstop popcorn thrills. Roger Ebert gave the film three stars and wrote, quote, the movie is essentially one well-done action sequence after another. It involves all the usual situations in movies where fierce creatures chase victims through the bowels of a ship slash spacecraft slash building. It's just that it does them well. It doesn't linger on the special effects. Some of the sharks look like cartoons, but it knows how to use timing, suspense, quick movement, and surprise. Man, I love that Roger Ebert, like, liked movies like this. Like, he (laughs) famously loves Too Fast, Too Furious. He loves, like, it's just like... Yeah. You know, for like the the most revered film critic of our time or whatever, like he doesn't just love French cinema. He also he also mm-hmm. loves, you know, Deep Blue Sea, which I adore. He's an anaconda guy, too. He yeah. loves anaconda. Big anaconda guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Chicago reader, uh, Lisa Allspector, wrote, quote, at once self-conscious and generic, this smart monster movie about smart monsters, super sharks cleverer than the scientists who created them, repeatedly lulls you into thinking it's paint by numbers. But the writers know you'll know what to expect. The characters are sufficiently naive to get picked off one by one, but their ignorance doesn't extend to the genre conventions governing their behavior, making for some shockingly funny moments. The furious, expressionistically bloody-drenched action is set in and around an oppressively self-contained floating laboratory that seems designed, like the Mountain Hotel in The Shining, to test its inhabitants' vulnerability. Expect to be frequently reminded of other movies. That's part of the point. Uh, A number of middling reviews seem to think the movie's stupidness outweighs its charms. In fact, it's hard to find a single review, good or bad, in which the word silly or stupid doesn't come up at least once, while admitting the charms are worth the price of admission. One exception is the New Yorker's David Denby, who wrote, quote, The disgraceful script is by Duncan Kennedy, Donna Powers, and Wayne Powers, directed with occasional flashes of nasty wit by Rennie Harlan. So, Joey, who is this random weirdo we've been talking to on the intro, uh, who we have not mentioned by name, who requested Deep Lucy? Well, I, I don't think it would be any surprise anybody who knows our little podcast sphere. There's someone in our orbit um, who loves this movie more than life itself, maybe. He is the host of currently Con Air, the podcast, also movies, films, and flicks, movies, films, and F-L-I-X. Did that right, I think. But mm-hmm. also, most importantly, uh, the host of Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, and also, weirdly enough, our guest on this intro segment tonight, our guest is Mark Hoffmeyer. Deep Blue Sea is a beautiful movie, and thank you so much for having me. I was working in a theater in 99, and i it's one of the greatest experiences. I would sneak into the theater and just watch the audiences get up and clap and cheer. And like, I saw people high-fiving that didn't even know each other. Like, you know, like it's, it was insane. Just everyone's just like, like, go LL, go LL. When he blows up the shark during the kitchen fight. Oh, yeah, whoa, 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 we'll get to it. We're going to take a quick break real quick. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> I'm going to come right back uh, with Mark. We are back with Mark. Um, so, Mark, I had to cut you off because you're giving away too much of the movie. Uh, before Even though we... I spoiled the entire thing in my summary. Well, yeah, but not not the not the specifics of the um, LL story arc that is 
the most surprising thing I think about this movie. Um, if you were seeing it for the first time, yeah, and what great you expect to happen? Greatest character. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do we land on Preacher? He's fodder in any other movie. He really is. He and then is. his his I'm not going to spoil it, but, but his journey is so fun and, and unexpected that <laughs> it just makes me so. And you can't kill him. He survived Mindhunters. Right. He survived Halloween H2O. Like he's, you know, also in 99, I just want to let you all know. The unsinkable LL, LL Cool J. Yeah. LL Cool J in 99 was in a movie called In Too Deep, where he played a character called God. Mm-hmm. He was also mm-hmm. in a movie called Any Given Sunday, mm-hmm. where they play football on a Sunday. And the name of the team was The Sharks. Ooh. Then he was in Deep Blue Sea, where he's called Preacher, and they he is attacked by sharks. By sharks. So all three of his ninety nine movies have like these weird connective tissue, you know, tin foil hat, con- connective tissue, and it makes we, me so happy. We should have done the constellation of LL Cool J instead as a separate separate round, Joey. I feel like yeah, instead of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, it should be six degrees <laughs> of sharks to LL. Three oh. degrees of LL Cool J. I'll do that all day. <laughs> um, so, Mark, as as Joey alluded to, uh, Deep Lucy is one of your children, um, and uh, it seems like you've you've had a long to see. So, you were saying you worked in a movie theater in '99. So, I guess that means that your relationship with this movie began uh, in the year in question. Uh, but do you want to talk about your, your aside from all the high fiving and all that sort of thing? Um, what was your actual personal first experience with the movie? Yeah, I mean, I saw it the Thursday night before it opened. Nice. Uh, I was a big fan of Rennie Harlan. I grew up watching Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger. Like, I knew mm-hmm. the guy's movies inside and out. And and watching this movie, I didn't really know much about it. Because 99, I was so preoccupied with other movies. You know, Matrix, uh, The Matrix, you had Phantom Menace. It was an absolute meat grinder of a year. And, like, in late July, like, late July when it opened, like... It, you you would have expected it to fall away, but it made a lot of money. And it yeah. like I, I was in the theater. I was working when Runaway Bride and, and Blair Witch were at their powers, and every theater sold out. And then what happened is those theaters would sell out, and then other people were like, "Well, I guess we'll go watch another movie." So yeah. General's daughter, like General's yeah. daughter, sold out for a month. Yeah, and I I just remember going to the theater, like loving Deep Blue Sea. Just it, it just knocked me off my it just because I love sharks. Like Jaws was my favorite movie at the time. I'm a huge shark movie guy. I'm a huge creature feature guy. And you know, I think at that time I was pretty lucky to be sort of working in theaters and just being able to like enjoy it. Cause I was like seven, 15 to 17 watching Anaconda deep rising, uh, like just the mummy watching all those films. And it was just so much fun and watching deep blue sea. I mean, you got to put it in context. This is a genetically modified sharks eating scientist movie and the scale of it, $80 million the the crew that you had on it. I mean, you had like Mark Bridges designed the costumes, Oscar winner. You had William Sandell, Joseph Bennett. These are guys who designed like Total Recall, like gigantic sets that they created. Uh, Stephen Winden has a like a large uh, cinema, like his his DP work is extensive. And then you have Rennie Harlan, and I'm just so happy that this movie hit. And it's I think there's a narrative set about it. Oh, I'm talking way too much, but yeah, I watched this movie in 99 and I adored it. So yeah, it's it, listen, like it's so fun. It's fun and it's audacious. And it, it's the kind of movie where so many films can phone it in, but this movie has legitimate scares 
and Rennie Harlan loves to kill people really hard. I mean, <laughs> if you like going back to prison, his movie with Viggo Mortensen that they filmed in a, like an abandoned prison in Wyoming and they had real prisoners as extras. Like you could see that this guy just like loved killing people in creative ways. And Nightmare on Elm Street 4, a lady's working out. She breaks her arms, becomes a cockroach, gets put in a cockroach thing and squashed like deep blue sea. You you bite off Stellan Skarsgård's arm. A shark takes him around for a ride for a couple right. minutes, uses him right. as a human batter. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. But it's just yeah. like yeah. He, in so many movies, you could just have quick kills. But in this one, it's, it's audacious <laughs> and it's funny and it's and it looks great. And they did put linoleum floors in, which annoyed him. That's why Thomas Jane is always slipping. But it's. Oh, <laughs> OK. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It it's. It's just a delight and they put so much money and care into this and it and it was a success. So, yeah, I just hate the narrative that it's so bad. It's good because I think it's so good. It's good. Like, I don't think it's dumb. What I love about what something that Mark said and something that you said in the intro, John, that I never thought about, but like the 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 setting, like the the collective behind the scenes crew, Rennie Harlan and his team, the space the station as like a spaceship like it is kind of like an alien yeah. the thing kind of thing like i didn't yeah. think about it like that but like you're you're isolated right like you can't es- you literally can't escape and you're there with these creatures that are like faster than you and stronger than you and want to kill you and yeah i just love like it it feels on the surface level like very basic like oh they're just like in like kind of like a prisony kind of thing like in the water but it's like well there's more to it than that like there's like these different like locations and set pieces like and i feel like when you finally get above water like you can all kind of breathe at the end you're like oh like we like we made it out of this thing and i just i love the the spaceship metaphor i didn't think about it like that but i really like that so whoever mentioned that in their review i think that's very apt i really like i appreciate that a lot and and another thing i love real quick is it has so much shark action so i dusted off some of my old uh i dusted off some of my old rotten tomato my old rotten tomatoes articles yeah and uh, i i i figured out i watched 40 creature features timed how much like the monster was on screen and for like the 40 movies I watched all the classics, the monsters are on screen for an average of five minutes and 15 seconds In deep blue sea, the sharks are on screen for 13 minutes and 37 uh, seconds. And wow. it's just, they introduced the shark at the three minute mark where the shallows, it takes 23 minutes. The mega takes 34. Rennie Harlan was like, I'm going to Rennie Harlan, the shark yeah. movie. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to blow this up. The sharks, Walt Conti's beautifully designed sharks are going to be on screen a lot. And I was watching a GQ video, a marine biologist like breaks down shark movies. And she, (laughs) she saw the Mako and was like, that's really, that's really good. Like she's like, that is a Mako shark and Makos are, they think the smartest sharks alive. So there's a reason why they were picked for this movie. So it's just such a good, ah, I love this movie. I, I, I will say like, so to one point that you just made there, one of the things I was thinking about as I rewatched it this week was um, yeah, you do see the sharks a lot more than you tend to in movies that rely on that kind of like the creature lurking somewhere suspense thing. Like the number of times that you see like the alien in the first alien movie, right? That sort of thing. Um, but not so much that it, it outweighs that. Like it, it doesn't over overdo it. Right. So it's like this really great balance of, you see the monster enough times and he's not afraid of using the monster and showing you the monster. But like at the same time, it's not to the point where it becomes gratuitous and, and loses all of its impact. Right. Um, it's a really, really great balancing act there. And, and to your point about like 
whether or not to call this movie stupid. Um, I agree with you that, so I think it's like, you, you can look at it on two levels. Ob the, the, the premise is completely insane and, and very, very silly. And there's a lot of like internal silliness to this movie um, just from a purely objective standpoint. But as a, as an action movie, the way that it is built as a machine, it's very smart, right? Like it's, it's really well-paced, well shot, well choreographed. Um, again, the use of the monster is 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 done with craft, right? And 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 what Roger Ebert was saying is like, look, the CGI sharks kind of suck, but you don't see them very much. And like the the way that they're used is in such a way that like it doesn't distract you <laughs> when when they're sort of cartoonish. All of that stuff to me, right, speaks to the the intelligence of this movie that realizes that the script doesn't have to be that great to to still work perfectly as like this this uh action movie machine and i think the thing that both of you sort of got to is that like it's just it's fun to watch like they know the movie they're yeah. making and like yeah. they're yeah. not trying to win awards or they're not trying to be like you know we're gonna we're gonna do jaws but better it's just like no people want to see like cool sharks eat people it's like yeah let's just let's give the people what they want and the also biggest... mark Sorry, sorry, Mark. Real quick, you also just reminded me of one more like phenomenon. So I just want to I want to make sure I, I I I touch on this before we move move away from it. But like the one of the things that we we sometimes talk about is like when we when we touch on something from this era, um, more of sort of in the the cultural social milieu. But like the idea that there were those movies that had residual success because everything else was sold out and then like would make more money like the next week because people saw the movie because all the, all the popular movies were sold out, like is not a thing that happens anymore. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to show up to a movie theater and be like, what? Everything's sold out because like you knew that from your smartphone. Um, and it's, I, I'd forgotten about that phenomenon. I'm sure I've seen a number of movies that I would never have seen uh, had the movie that I went to go see not been sold out. And um, it does make sense that given, I, as I talked about, like what it was opening up against and and what was at the box office when it came out, that it would be a, a beneficiary of, of, that, of that phenomenon. So that's really interesting. I mean, it was a meat grind. I walked into work sometimes and the entire lobby was packed. Yeah, Every concession had a staffer. I was cleaning theaters that were completely packed and just <laughs> like the, its ability though, like cause six cents came out pretty soon after this as well. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it was just, yep. you, you, as you guys know, in 99, but it was, I just remember the crowds in 99 and it made me so happy that deep blue sea, even internationally could hold on. It could, I mean, it made money. I mean, for a, if you think about it, Sam Jackson was probably the biggest name, but Rennie Harlan wasn't the hottest commodity in town. No one knew Thomas Jane or Saffron Burroughs. You know, Stellan Skarsgård maybe had some heat from Goodwill Hunting. Rappaport was was a name from his Woody Allen stuff. But it's, I, I love the cast too. Like he got like an indie cast for this movie. Yeah. And, and, and it, but it's still, I think the word of mouth, I've only had a few screenings in my life where it was like Wonder Woman, Bubba Hotep and Deep Blue Sea where people were just, you could tell the vibe in the theater was just like everyone loved it. Like, and just cheered and clapped and like everyone, it was like a, it was like a communal experience for everybody. 
and I, I think, yeah, the word of mouth and, and I mean, to be that, make that much money in a meat grinder of a, a summer, it says something about it. Now, sure a, a, a question for you, Mark, and I know that I still have not said when I first saw this movie yet, and John <laughs> hasn't either. I know they're getting yeah. off track, but oh, do you sorry. think, no, 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 this is exactly, this is the Mark Hoffmeyer experience for, for better or worse, <laughs> and I mean better. Um, I take everything you, off track. For better, for better. For do, better. Yeah. do you think that the reason you love this movie so much is not just the movie itself, but do you think it's that first, did that first screening seal it for you that you're like, that even if it didn't connect with you, like the way that like it clearly has that you've spent hundreds of hours probably talking about this and like other related movies, like did that was that first viewing where it was like such a communal joyful experience Did that like seal in like this movie is going to be special to me forever. Yeah, I mean, those experiences always make the movie better. Like, I love the movie Jumper because of my experience watching it. So I, I think I think those experiences happen. And, but also, this was the first DVD I ever bought. Like, this movie's actually been really important for my writing career. This movie's, like, helped me get jobs. You know, Brian Raftery found out my weird data and he wrote a, a, prof, <laughs> pro, he wrote a profile about me in 2017 because we yeah. both love Deep Blue Sea. Like, I got Rotten Tomatoes because of this in my Halloween h2o data like i wrote the 20th anniversary piece for rotten tomatoes about this and i started the podcast and i met really cool people and john pogue the director of deep blue c3 it's like this movie maybe i I do have the nostalgia of the experience and it's like been a part of my life for since 99 and it's been an important part of my life and what what I think is special about this is that you just said this on the episode of Too Fast that you were just on is that your your sort of bread and butter is the things that people don't love. Like there's uh, there's no secret that there's a lot of great movies from 1999. That's the whole point of the podcast. But like this is not everyone's favorite. But it's just like oh yeah, like that is one that I love. And like you you have made I don't want to say like a living, but you've made a living on a movie that is not necessarily forgotten, but not like for most people like your top 10 99 movies. Like this is probably not going to be in there. And you're like no, this is this is the one. This was a weird era for cinema, too, because Blade had a Rotten Tomato score and Blade's awesome. That's like it's in my top three ever superhero films, Unbreakable, Constantine and Blade. I think they're beautiful. You had Deep Rising, which is one of the funniest, happiest, cheekiest Stephen (laughs) Summers movies that has a rotten score. Anaconda has a rotten score. The Mummy had a rotten score. Ninety nine. So it was this odd era where these. I think these really fun, really cheeky sort of beloved now movies that a lot of people watched, a lot of people rented at Blockbuster and a lot of people adored. And and I think now they kind of hear about Deep Blue Sea and, you know, it's big. Like we did a video for Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, what's the second best shark movie ever? And it has like one point something million views because people love Deep Blue Sea. Because like, because it was universally assumed that number one is Deep Blue Sea, right? And you're like, what's 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 <laughs> yeah. Jaws. Yeah. We figured it'd be a smart way to just be like, let's just leave Jaws out of this. Like, let's For just leave Sharknado. it out. And, yeah. and 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 like, but in you know, I've talked to people about this movie and they're like, Well, it's not Jaws. And I'm like, what is Jaws? Like right. what 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 Jaws is such an anomaly that took it like right. And like, and then they're like, well, it's Jurassic Park. I'm like, yeah, like Rennie Harlan knew that. If you listen to the commentary, he's like, yeah, this is Jurassic Park, but with sharks. Yeah. There's a storm. Yeah. There's yeah. scientists. There's, but then look at this. The Rise monster the... eats Samuel L. Jackson. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, like uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? That's about curing Alzheimer's and it goes horribly, horribly awry. Yeah. You look at Jurassic World, it's basically deep blue sea with the genetic, genetic modifying. And like yeah. Chris Pratt is a less cool version of Thomas Jane. Yeah. Like, I read a review they called they, they called Thomas Jane a bionic stud muffin. And I was like, that, that's a perfect thing for this. And so, you know, Deep Blue Sea has influenced movies, I think. And, yeah. and I just want to say something about Driven really quick. Uh, Driven, 
it came out during the franchise pictures era. Research them if you haven't looked them up. Yeah. But if you buy the Driven DVD or Blu-ray, there's an entire separate commentary where Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone talks about all the deleted scenes from Driven. And it's about an hour of deleted scenes. He's like, this would have made the movie so much better. He's so <laughs> mad at Rennie Harlan for cutting. It was supposed to be Rocky, but Driven. And Rennie cut all of his scenes. And so Sylvester Stallone does a commentary track to talk about the deleted scenes on Driven, saying that it would have been a better movie. And it's such a fun experience to listen to it because that's interesting. Yeah. So if you ever want to like buy Driven, it's just such an odd thing to find on a DVD. You're like, wait, yeah, sure. <laughs> is this a Stallone commentary about how mad he is that all of his scenes were cut? Right. This is amazing. Rennie Harlan, who like resurrected Sylvester Stallone's career with 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 Cliffhanger. So, you know, oh, man. Dude, and like this dude will go, though he'll go to the Italian Alps to shoot Cliffhanger. Like he'll he'll put people like his like Cutthroat Island went over budget, but if you watch that movie, you see every cent on screen. Yeah. So I I just love his movies and how practical he gets. And like you know, he put LL in that oven. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about LL in a moment. Great Joey, kitchen fight. Joey, <laughs> um, when did you first see Deep Lucy? I don't think that this is a thread that's come up. I think that I've talked a lot about my like great college years catch up of watching all the best movies ever. This did not make that cut, unfortunately. Yeah. So I was I was wrong in college. But the other thing that really kind of introduced me to a lot of movies that were a lot more kind of like culty or like sort of off the beaten path a little bit is the podcast. How did this get made? Um, and they covered this in 2015. I looked up the date and my issue with a lot of the movies that I saw for that podcast is that I went into it. Cause if you don't know about that podcast, I mean, it's, it's wildly successful, but like they watch movies that are like so bad. They're like, how did this ever get made? Like it was whatever. And so I would go into a lot of these movies being like, okay, this is a bad movie. And so like, I'm starting off on the wrong foot, but this one, I remember being like, even with that mentality, I'm just like, no man, this, this movie is great. So there were very few movies like, and then you listen to the episode and like, I'm like, why are they doing Con Air? Why are they doing Face Off or whatever? It's like, oh no, they love it too. Like they just want to talk about how crazy it is. But I'm like, no, this movie is good. And I think, I think I remember they loved it too. Like, how could you not? But th- that was one where I saw for that podcast. I'm like, this is really good. And I feel like, again, like it's it's in a, a crowded year of really good movies. And like the 90s, just such a great decade for action movies. And it might get lost in the shuffle there. But like, don't let it. It's it's a delight. Yeah, I I, I genuinely don't remember the first time I saw this. So you didn't see it um, in theaters. I did not see it in theaters. Uh, it do you made... remember? Do you remember hearing about it? Like, was oh, this sure, one? Sure, sure, sure. You're yeah, just yeah. like I, you're like I don't want to see this. I don't need to see this in theaters. Uh, yeah, it just didn't make the cut. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff in theaters that year, but this just didn't. I mean, it didn't seem. You know, I read it. We didn't have Rotten Tomatoes. We didn't have real good review aggregators. And the reviews I read weren't great. And um, I, you know, the, the premise was like, what about genetically modified Alzheimer's sharks? What are we doing? Um, and I didn't know anybody in it aside from Samuel Jackson. And yeah, I, I love Long Kiss Goodnight, but but I, I was not sold on seeing this. And uh, I think I must have I must have seen it. This must have been something that I saw like working in a video store uh, the next year or so, much like with Drop Dead Gorgeous. I, I'm sure that's how I came across it the first time. I remember watching it and being like, this is actually really cool. <laughs> like, I like this movie. Uh, I, it's it's a it's a machine of, of entertainment. And um, and I really never thought much about it afterwards. So like I I think when I watched it this past week was probably the second time I've seen it. And there are some things about it that annoyed me this time. Um, 
but it still is good. Like it still is, is again, like I, I think I sort of expressed this, you know, pretty fully already, but like, it is a very well-oiled entertainment machine and it doesn't waste any time. And it is executed and filmed and staged uh, immaculately and uh, still holds up really well. What annoyed you? The biggest thing that annoyed me <laughs> is for the first 20 odd minutes or so, the ADR is unbearable. It is absolutely fucking unbearable. Uh, it is like watching a movie, like a, like a French movie being dubbed. The ADR is so bad. It's so flat. I absolutely hate it. And it really took me out of it for a while. Luckily, people stop having dialogue and <laughs> you start getting to running away from sharks and it gets a lot better, but like it is, and like this was true of a lot of movies of that era, right? Like there's a lot of like really bad ADR when you had not great, uh, um, you know, uh, sound capturing on set, and so you had to like redub everything afterwards, and like every fucking line of the beginning is like so transparently bad ADR, and that just drove me nuts. Um, it's really nothing to do with the movie at all. It's just one of those things I'm just like, eh. uh, it's it's a, it's a it's an era um, problem that I, uh, you know, irk that I have. No, but I think that's the kind of thing where it's like, if you notice it once and it keeps happening, like you're not going to yeah. be able to get out of your head with it. It's just like, God, like just fix it or just yeah. do something different. Like my thing with like, especially like the Fast and Furious movies is like, whenever you have, uh, I mean, they're all perfect movies, so I, I, I can't really criticize them too much. They're all, all uh, 100% perfect movies um but like when there's like a long shot it's like a car driving and there's just like a minute of dialogue it's like oh you had no idea how to connect that scene to this next scene let's just have a character explain where we are now and like it's that kind of thing where like once you know so you're like oh that's just that's bad writing or whatever um but if you don't think about like a lot of people are probably just like oh like yeah that's just exposition it's just like well yeah okay or they don't even think about like that's like just like oh yeah that's story well the other thing that drove me that 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 so so a couple of things with the casting like and again, this is not really the movie's fault, but like, I don't understand why Aida Totoro is here. <laughs> like, what is her purpose? And also, but that was also like right before she became famous, because this was like right before she joined The Sopranos, right? So, um, you know, like within like a, a year or a year and a half of her joining that show. So I was like, what is the purpose of Aida Totoro in this role? And like, do we, why just just use a PA system? It doesn't really, you don't need a person. It's, it's, it's not, there's nothing there. Um, and then also that I was like, well, clearly Saffron Burroughs was supposed to be Gina Davis. Hey, Chris, whatever happened to Gina Davis? She used to be in movies, but she's not in movies anymore. But like he divorced, he divorced her a year ago. So that's why it's not. I'm, I've, I've never had confirmation of that, but I swear to God, that's what he was doing there. I was like, this is the Gina Davis role. You, know, you might know if this is true, Mark. I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if you. I don't, so I found a really enlightening New York Times article that was really skeptical about Rennie Harlan. And in this film, they were talking about how the studio was very worried about Rennie joining. So they kept a really tight rein on him for this film. They brought him this script. So Akiva Goldsman was brought on set to sort of make sure that it, the budget stayed at 80-ish million dollars. So at the time, you know, after Cutthroat and Long Kiss Goodnight, I don't think they would have wanted another movie because the press was already so bad from Cutthroat Island, like it was still lurking around. So, from what I seen from them, what I, what I know is that I, I don't. I think they just put a tight rein on Rennie on this one, and they're like, yeah. "We're not, we're not doing another Cutthroat Island." 
So it's, <laughs> it's, but you know, I always feel bad for him because, you know, how dare he take his, his Mensa level, intelligent, archery, badass wife and put her in a cool pirate film where Michael Douglas drops out at the last minute. And it's like, you know, how, how you, dare he? Do you, and then, do you like that movie? Listen, you watch that movie. And, and <laughs> what I love is there are gigantic pirate ships yeah. at the end when Frank Langella and his sleeveless t-shirt are battling Gina Davis. They're up on the mast of the boat. Like this yeah. is a movie where they went to Malta. They, they built the sets. They blew up the sets. The scale is there. There's a couple shots that I watched that I just, I was like this, you like, instead of building like a, like a, a, a like they have people repel actually into a cave. Like it's, you can feel the stunts. You can feel the ambition there. And the movie is quite fun, and I just think it fell apart because you know, it was kind of a blank check movie. The studio was falling apart when they were making it. Michael Douglas dropped out. Modine was not a suitable replacement. But I think at the end of the day, it's still a fun yarn that went way over budget. Okay. So, uh, and then also, I think that really hurt Last Long Kiss Goodnight because that's like a trend. That could have been a trend setting role. Gina Davis is so good in that movie. Sam and I think Jack. that's like objectively a good movie. Yeah. And, and yeah. Right. And then, but they're like, Oh, a husband's working with his wife. Like, Oh, like action. He's trying to make her an action hero. It's like, yo, like she's on ice skates, chasing a car and blowing it up and making it flip. Like get over yourselves. It's, yeah. it's like a fun action movie. And so I digress, but I just feel bad for all the hate that the two of them got because I like those movies are fun. Like, and, and, I just don't think they would have let her in Deep Blue Sea with 80 million because the press would have been sure. triply as bad. I don't even think that's a word, but it would have been <laughs> qua qua quadruple the times worse. I, I only ask you about Cuthbert Island because I remember I did see that in the theater and I remember being really excited for that movie because I was like, cool, big pirate movie from the guy who directed Cliffhanger and Die Hard 2 um, and not liking it when I saw it. And I, and I don't know if... I would have a different opinion now or if or if sort of uh over time it's become you know one of those movies that we look back on as actually better than we remember uh or or than and it was received in the first place but i don't know i'm I, i'd be interested to watch it again at some point it, it's uh, a lot and i do yeah. have rennie harlan blinders on yeah uh, i i just like seeing the show I, I just love how rennie he wants his actors in the action like he puts them in there and i think that aids the movie so yeah. for me, that's kind of what I root for. But I mean, it's still Cutthroat Island. Come on. Uh, but it's it's just I, I like pirates and I like treasure. If any movie with a treasure, I'll give a B plus. <laughs> I have automatic B plus. I have a question mostly for Mark. But John, you might also know this actor, too. I was thinking about Saffron Burroughs, not comparing her to Gina Davis, because I think that's yeah. also a very apt comparison. I was thinking if you made this today or just the, the actor that she reminded me of is Rebecca Hall. I think she kind of looks like it. She kind of sounds like it. It's the same kind of thing. And I feel like if this were made today, you put a Rebecca Hall in that Saffron Burroughs role. And like, that's that's money in the bank. Oh, I mean, this R Hall, I'll put her in anything. Yeah. <laughs> Remake Citizen Kane with R Hall in it. And I'll I'll be happy. And and uh, I mean, I got some fun stories for y'all about her. And like, but you know, you know about that. You know, like the ending and well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I wish I had more to say other than I love our Hall. She's the best. <laughs> John, do you have thoughts on uh, Rebecca Hall? Do you know Rebecca Hall? I do know Rebecca Hall. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good, 
I think she just kind of like it's like a analogy. little bit of look, a little bit of the sound, and a little bit of just like the type of role. And I'm like, yeah. And also, like Mark said, you know, put her in anything. John, I think she, I think, an, and she's a, super smart too. Like whenever yeah. you look at Rebecca Hall, you're like, you're you just feel like if she's talking about genetically modified sharks, you're like, you know what you're talking about. That's cool. <laughs> like she's talking about Kong in what Kong skull, uh, Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla. I love that movie. But yeah, it's it's another like whenever she says something, you're like, yeah, I believe it. Like, well, Saffron Burrows, to her credit, I think acquits herself nicely as the as the person who knows what she's talking about. I think she 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 plays that. that I I believe her in this role for sure. Her, her animal brain stabbing practice is yeah. a plus. <laughs> I think John, two things to this movie's credit. I think one that's tied to the podcast, one that just the movie itself is that I think a reason that we both liked it a lot is I, I think what I sort of hinted at the intro is like it's so different from what we've been watching that I yeah. think it's kind of refreshing to just kind of watch like a popcorn movie. Like again, we've not had any stinkers this season, which I, which I am very grateful for. Like the first two seasons in like the, the canon of 99, there were movies that were like, oh, this is a chore. Like I none of us want to be here right now. And this, <laughs> I think partially fueled by just like guest passion, but also just like the movies are good. Like as a deep roster for 99, it's they're all good movies. They're all like ones that I look forward to seeing either again or for the first time. And I think it just works. I think that's really good. The other thing that like the, the real compliment I want to pay this, we've talked about this for other movies on this show. I think an hour 45 is the perfect length for an action movie. Mm. And I looked last night when I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out like when I'm going to watch this. And I'm like, please don't be like two hours and 10 minutes again. Fast and Furious movies, perfect movies, not a complaint about them, but sometimes they're a little bit long. It's like I have to devote like a quarter of my day to one of these. This, I'm like, hour 45, perfect. Like it's exactly the right length. And I, and I mean what I'm about to say in the in the good way, which is that I remember, so I was, when I was watching it um, a few days ago, I remember being like 40 minutes in, like to, to being like, oh, we're getting to the climax now. Like we're getting towards, it's getting towards the end now. And I looked at the timestamp and I'm like, oh, we're 40 minutes into the movie. Because like, and, and, and I mean that in a good way, because it sort of gets to the point where things get going really quickly and like shit gets real. And you're like, well, surely it's going to wrap up pretty soon. But like, no, 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 no. Like there's a lot more action set, set pieces and people to die. Um, but in, in a way that doesn't feel like it's dragging on, but just in sort of like the where it is in the movie, most movies are like, and we're almost done because well, I think I like it's it, it, shot that's all similar. my bullets. It's similar to Ravenous where like, oh, they did like an entire movie in 45 <laughs> minutes. But like, yeah, a little different, but yeah. But like Ravenous is kind of like, okay, now what do we do? Like, yeah, now we need like, another movie. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea is like, you know what we're going to do. We're going to go messing people up with sharks for the next hour. So <laughs> yes. just like sit back and enjoy this and it yeah. works. It's a delightful <laughs> realization when you get to that point in the movie. <laughs> like that was a lot more of this. <laughs> and and it makes sense as far as the ABC structure too, right? Because you get yeah. Jan Janice does a huge exposition dump in the beginning. Like she is an exposition monster oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in this movie but they 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 make sure to show the iron the gates they make sure to show you that they flew in they make sure to tell you that the boat is gone they show you the gas pumps that they're that you know michael rapaport is turning then they take the elevator down and then they talk about where they are in regards to you know we got to go down oh that didn't work now we got to go up so it has a very like I like the ABC structure because oh wait it's flooding so we have to open this up and then this means this and then like I I like that this movie does have a very easy to follow structure it's like and they do lay the aquatica out quite well so I like I like that you know even though a lot of people say this movie's silly and yeah it's silly but I do think they did take care to show you the map of the aquatica and like this is where we are and this is where we're going 
And a lot of movies don't take that care. Like I was watching the Magnificent yeah. Seven yeah. remake and I like it. I like the remake. I love the cast, but the final action scene, there's really no geography that you can follow. And so you're kind of like, where is everybody? And that's not the case on this movie. You have the side quest of, of Preacher, but you know what floor he's on and you know uh, where they're going at all times. And I think that makes it work really well, like more so than most genetically modified shark movies or summer popcorn <laughs> blockbusters. I, I think that's a great point. Like, so there were, there were times. So I, I will say that like, it's almost like a contradiction to say this, but like, I had no idea where the hell they were, but I, 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 the movie convinced me that I did. Right. So, like th That's kind of what I mean. Like, I don't know what floor they were on, where they were going or whatever else, but the sense of space that you get and the way that these sort of rooms sort of interlock and, and it, it, it feels like it does feel like it's all one big complex and not a series of sets. And, and there's a sense of like the claustrophobia, claustrophobia and the kind of spatial awareness that it's, it's really, again, it's part of the, the, the 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 technical success of this movie that it's, I think it's so well put together that way even at a certain point if you're just like okay they need to go up like even if you don't know like right. what that means it's like right. okay we need like down didn't work where can we go, work. Where can go up yeah. yeah so like even that simple thing is just like yeah that that makes and i think that like you know i i use this as not as a negative but i think like a quote-unquote dumb action movie doesn't have to be dumb like you can make a popcorn movie that's smart and that has smart payoffs like i think that's the thing that people that maybe gives like action movies a bad name it's like well that didn't make any sense or that wasn't good or like that wasn't shot or whatever and like you don't have like just because you're making a thing that isn't vying to be the next citizen kane starring rebecca hall <laughs> doesn't with mean sharks. with sharks doesn't mean that you have to make a bad movie it could be a good movie that just is like a well-made kind of dumb action movie and like that's not just okay like that i would i would i would see one of those every single week if there was like a movie like this that like was just like no that's actually that's actually a good movie like that kind of like actually you know it's, it's actually a pretty good movie like if there was one of those every week i would go see this every single week in theaters well and on and top of that too like as 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 mark was alluding to earlier it it's it's like it is a fundamentally derivative movie at points, just like pure, pure, you know, like carbon copying derivative movie, but that can be good too. And that like yep. the way it does it, the way that it, this movie is Jurassic park and alien three and jaws and aliens and alien <laughs> and like, and like you fucking name it. Right. There's a lot. And like, Congo. There's a lot of Michael Crichton in this movie, like absurd scientific premise and genetic engineering and like monsters as a result. Uh it 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 borrows from so many things that are so very mid-90s, and it feels like it is a both a, like a a magnum opus of those things and an homage at the same time. So like you can be derivative and also be awesome. And I think this is the exact like this is the exemplar of that, of that, of that fact. Well, it's the kind of thing like like tropes are not bad like tropes are tropes for reason like people use things again for a reason because like right. they work right and like you can take dna from other things like as long as you're not doing like literally the same thing remix things go for it like there's only like well, six even, stories even even Tra trevor rabin's music score like it borrows heavily from jaws and jurassic park all the time right? like all throughout it there's entire cues where i'm like oh come on it's direct and but it's great and I, I i love that it's it's that sort of audacious about it you have the license plate from you know the the homage to Jaws and the sharks are right. killed. You know the first one explodes like in Jaws one. The second one is electrocuted like in Jaws two, and the third one explodes like in Jaws three. Oh, and there Jaws, you go. Yeah. So and, I didn't and, catch that. Yeah, like and he knew that too. Yeah, like he's like, listen, sense. like 
and and he loves those movies and and also like when we're talking about derivative i'm not saying two wrongs make a right but i just find it interesting which movies people choose to call derivative because when you watch the documentaries about the making of alien they wholesale borrowed from so much cinema sure but it works but it works perfectly so people aren't like oh it's derivative but once you learn every like Dan O'Banion was like, you steal from the best. Like when you watch Tarantino and then you watch a Sergio Leone movie, you're like, whoa, but he did it great. And so you, you, yeah. you're like, oh, he did it good. So then a lot of people with Deep Blue Sea, and I'm, I'm not saying this, and it's totally fine because they do, but it's like, that's what they key in on this for this movie. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, like they know that. Like it's <laughs> like, so I just think, I think people pick and choose which movies they want to call derivative. I mean, Look how many Batman movies there are. It's all Batman. Well, I think I think that's the thing. It's that's the thing where it's like it's like people are never happy. It's either like you try something new and it doesn't work, and people are like, "Well, why'd you do that?" Or like you try <laughs> you try the same thing that it's always been done, and they're like, "Well, why'd you do that?" It's like you can't yeah. be mad at me no matter what happens. Like you either have to be like, "Okay, I only want things that I'm comfortable and familiar with, and I'm not going to complain about." It. It's just the like Ryan it, Johnson effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and also like I just think there's been a weird. About this movie, like I think that there's an odd narrative about it to where I, I I've seen it's been set. Like it's you see you see the low scores. I mean, on, on Rotten Tomatoes, that the audience score is so low. Yeah, but I, I think that's because you talk to most people and they just go, "Oh yeah, that's that bad movie." I think there is this narrative that's set about it just being a dumb movie. But I mean, I, I was listening to this. I don't want to say his name, like because like Patton Oswalt's cool. I just said his name, but he was talking about. <laughs> He was, he was talking about Deep Blue Sea and he's like, yeah, people in my theater were getting up and clapping and they were just like, holy crap. And the shocks were amazing. And we were all so happy. He's like, yeah, but I just don't, I just don't like it. Like, I just can't believe it. And, it's like, <laughs> and he's like, I can't give it props. And it's like, wait, like a movie about genetically modified sharks got everyone in the theater clapping. And you're like, eh, it's not that good. Like yeah. it, I, there's, I really do think I've read, you know, through my jobs and I've had to go through so many reviews. Uh, of IMDb Rotten Tomatoes, I read. I, I I love to understand patterns, and I really think the narrative around this movie was set, and then it stayed that way. But I just want people to realize that this is a fun movie. It's and uh, it's very polished, and it has some great sheen to it. But yeah, I mean, like a pop song. I, I compare it to like a great pop song where you know it knows what the beat is, it yeah. knows how to entertain. Like you know, the Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling tonight's gonna be a good night. Like it's so basic, but everyone had a good night when they listened to it. So it's, I, I, I think your point is sort of like is sort of um, is sort of made by the movie in its most famous scene, which is like the Samuel Jackson this scene. This is how ridiculous this movie is. Yeah, yeah, where it does the whole like inspiring. We're gonna make it out of this, and I'm gonna lead us. And, and he's like, and then he's like, nope, shark eats me. Um, and it's 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 a very funny scene. Obviously, it's a very memorable scene. But I also think it's trying to tell you something, which is like. We get it. Like, we get this is crazy. That's part of the point. Like, come along for the ride. No one is being pretentious here. Like, no one is really taking seriously this plot. Like, the way they even talk about the Alzheimer's thing is almost, you know, it's like they try and make serious points about it every now and again. But, like, they all know it's all nuts. (laughs) And then when they're like, they're like, oh. But what happened is the brains weren't big enough, so right. we made the brains so we bigger. The it's like, wait, hold on. What yeah. you did you did what? Yeah. Like yeah. that's easier than like literally any other science thing. Like yeah. <laughs> okay. but uh, they say it. So that they're like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
no, like it makes, and that, yeah. I think this part, like it makes perfect sense within the movie. But yeah. if you're like, if you're not sure what the movie is at that point, you're like, oh, I get it. And like either, like I can see that you'd be like, this is dumb, and like you don't want, you're, you're not into it. But like, if you're on the fence, you're like, do they know what they're doing? You're like, oh, of course they know what they're doing. Like either this is the literally the dumbest group of people that have ever been together and somehow completed a project or they know exactly what they're making and what they're making is just like dumb fun and i'm gonna i'm just gonna enjoy this like it there's no question at that point which is like we made the brains bigger it's like wait what okay it's almost a condemnation of movies that are silly and and are like so bad they're good or whatever for not being also good right like like this movie shows that you can be the sort of like indulgently silly, absurd, over the top premise movie and still make a good movie. Like it doesn't have to be so bad. It's good. It can be, as you said, Mark, so good. It's good. Right. Like that. I think that is one of the clever sort of things this movie's playing with is being like, look, you can be crazy and absurd and over the top and also like make a really well crafted, well edited, well put together action thriller. Like it's, it is, it is possible. It's been, it's been done. Can we talk about how the one of the first generation Makos just waits in Dr. Susan McAllister's room? <laughs> it, it, it's waiting, you know, it's waiting to get for her to, oh, it doesn't know where the research is. Yeah. It's waiting for her to open it up, take it out of the locker, and it's like, oh, there it is. And then it attacks. It's just, <laughs> that shark is just chilling in the corner. It's just like, hey, like, it's like the Gen 2 probably shark was like, hey, let's make a huddle here. You go left. <laughs> I'll go right. And so they send that shark in that shark's chilling. Just like McAllister's coming in here to get the research. I know she is. So I'm just going to chill. Like when she walks in, the water's perfectly still and it doesn't attack until she gets it. Like, it makes me so happy that yeah. the, shark's, the shark's in there, like, like pulling like a brave, like, was it brave heart? Like hold, 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 no. hold. Yeah. And just, and, and then goes after the research. And then of course you have that wildly gratuitous scene, but that's so yeah. silly. <laughs> And yes, you do. It's so silly. And then you have a kitchen fight. Like, Rennie Har- I found a quote from Rennie Harlan, and he said, nobody has seen sharks in living rooms, bedrooms, and kitchens before. That's what he said. And he's like, I want to do that. And so No one had you- seen velociraptors in kitchens until Jurassic like, Park either. But- exactly. I, I just love <laughs> – I mean, this one has water. Like, this has – Yes. Like, yeah. like, it's not an underwater Water raptor raptors. fight. No. I mean, I guess Alien Resurrection did that. But, I mean, it's – it's silly, but the fight though that they have, the bird gets eaten, and then the chef is in his oven getting cooked, and then he acts, he axes his way out of it, and then he yeah. goes, "You wait, you wait." He he gets a final line midway through the movie, like "You ate my bird," and then he blows up the shark. Like it's that I know. And I have a question, guys. In a million years, did you see the fight going that way? Like, did you see that ending happening? No, I no. don't think there's. I don't think there's any way that someone who's never seen this movie could understand anything about LL's character arc, like the 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 secret to the best omelet recipe, the fact that he survives, like nothing about what his character does or what happens to him makes any sense given any other movie you've literally ever watched, right? Yeah. Like in every horror movie, it's like, well, the black guy dies first, and like not only does he not die, but he's the hero, like unsus un un expectedly the hero like he's the one who actually kills the well, shark. he was because he was he was supposed to so so they wanted samuel L. jackson for that role initially and and he was supposed the character's supposed to die early and samuel jackson was like i don't want to play a chef and so harlan was like all right we're just going to create this like 
billionaire character for you to play. And so they gave the role to LL Cool J. And then over time, they were like, yeah, let's not kill him. Let's like, let's, let's keep having him be alive unexpectedly after scene, after scene, after scene, because that first scene with him is set up in a way where you're like, Oh, he's about to die. Like, Oh, around the corner. Oh, here we go. Oh, now he's going to die. Oh, poor LL. And it's like, Oh, and he keeps not dying every scene until the very end of the movie. Like he literally records a thing. Like if you're seeing this, that means I'm right. not alive so, anymore. So, and, and it's, that's one of those clever moments where they keep playing with that idea. And you're like, that's when you're like, okay, well now he's going to die. Cause now he's doing the like sad, like yep. I love my family and I love Jesus and all this stuff. And he's like, here's the thing about omelets. And you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> he's not going to die. They're fucking with us again. It's the same thing in reverse end. of the Samuel Jackson heroic. This is our independence yes. day speech, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> this guy's going to lead them to victory. And it's like, no, never mind. He, yeah. he just, he just got eaten. And LL Cool J, by the way, is very good at this movie. Like he is, he is, is a really, really good performance. I have to say, I'm, I've never been more impressed with his. With his he actor. is also what my co-host on many podcasts, Mike Mancy is called a Raptor, which we've talked that we've velociraptor, yeah. but a rapper turned actor. He calls them yeah. the Raptors. And he not only, I, I want to make sure that we talk about this, not only is a great performance here, but also does the titular, not the titular song because it's called Deepest Bluest, but like he does the theme song for this movie, yeah. which is iconic and legendary and just a wonderful song. Like he is doing double duty here and killing them on both sides of the wall. I need to talk to a lawyer about the legality of what he's singing about in Deepest Bluest. My head is like a shark fin because he's singing a. <laughs> Because he's like, listen, I'm a man, but I'm also a shark. So I can be a man, but then I go in the water and turn into a shark and then I'll eat you. And it's kind of like, what's maritime law? Like if, if, I, <laughs> if I turn into a shark and go into the ocean and attack somebody in my territory, I mean, because I'm technically a shark at that moment. So, so you're like, saying it's a question of jurisdiction. Yeah. If the, yeah. If this is like a few good men, like and Tom Cruise has me on trial. Because well, I guess they're. What do we charge ma- sharks for murder? No. Yeah. We don't charge sharks for murder. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I was a shark when I did it. Like, you yeah. know, like it's the shark defense. Like, if the if the shark that's- fin doesn't fit, you know, you acquit. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm a, I'm a shark and I go in the water and I kill people, <laughs> but then I come back on land and then I'm a human. And it's like, I'm try knock to, you out. Yeah. And it's like, try to arrest me. And it's, you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, this guy's kind of a jerk because. <laughs> He's like, listen, like, I don't really have to go in the water, but when I go in the water and if you're in my territory, I'm going to eat you. Like, when do they, people don't know when he's going to be in the water. That's like, he's true. not like, hey, I'm here from nine to five. Stay out of my way. But what if he's like, oh, man, I got an hour after work. Like, I'm going to go eat somebody. Like, that, then, then I guess he's kind of a serial killer. <laughs> but it, it really, it really raises a bunch of interesting questions in regards to shark human relations and where that stands in the court of law. Is, is this movie, by the way, like sneakily, christian propaganda because it is the it's the power of christ that keeps ll alive and and he's he's constantly bible thumping and and he's you know one of the last ones standing and i don't know john you're the theology teacher jesus defeats the final shark and i don't know i felt like i was being uh proselytized too i gotta say the one thing i liked is he's not the stereotypical christian on screen no he's he is you know he's he's looking at playboy he's drinking sherry (laughs) He's he's being very unhygienic in the kitchen, feeding his bird frosting. Yeah. Uh, who knows where that bird poops? So it's it's he's just this the guy. The bird is literally sitting in a bowl. It's just like, dude, what? Come on. And and, uh, and also, Christians are very well known for their yeah. uh, their their kitchen hygiene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. He was he was in a lot of pro, pro, he, he said he had a rough life. 
So maybe yeah. he's new to Christianity. And when a lot of people are new to Christianity, they are quite zealous with their Christianity because they're so new to it. So I, I, I think with this movie, I mean, he stabs a shark in the eye with a cross. It's pretty, it's pretty great. But- so, so here, here's a question for the two of you about the, 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 the Christianity of this, the messages of this, the proselytizing of this. You are both teachers, uh, John. You teach religion theology. Mark, you teach film and such. I believe. Uh, have either? I'm, I'm assuming the answer to, to for one of you is yes. Have either of you ever taught this film in the class? <laughs> I, I show it every semester. <laughs> I, I do. I show it every semester. What's the context? Like, what do you like in in what lesson or like what are you teaching that like this comes up? Other than just like it's always on your brain, but like how, what what do you teach about this movie? I do a monster movie buildup because okay. I mean I think I think monster movies in general. I, I really don't understand why they are looked at as sort of B level features because. If you think about the 1930s, or even you know, let's let's go back to the 20s with with uh, Nosferatu and yeah. and like the early German expressionistic films, and then you go to the 30s with Universal Horror, and they rode that for a long time, and in the 50s you get Godzilla, a genuine like a movie with a message, and then you get the creature features that sort of represent you know the the the, the you know the scare of communism, the the radiation scares from World War II. And then in sixties, they get more kind of defined with Rosemary's baby. You get like a really, like, that's not really a monster movie, but like the sixties. And then you, but it's like, well, it's, it's a reflection of like what people are afraid of, right? Like it's like people yeah. were afraid of the devil yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I just think, uh, so I always teach that and how like it evolved through the seventies and the eighties when you, you know, the thing I always show to my class too. And I, I talk about how, you know, quiet place Two now. And like, look at Nope, look at these movies that smile, like, Monster movies have just for for as long as cinema has been around have been almost surefire hits for moviegoers and for studios. Yeah. And so I don't I don't understand this whole sort of, hey, a monster movie. We're not going to nominate it for this because it's a it's a monster movie, like only maybe yeah. Sigourney Weaver from Aliens yeah. and, and a few other examples. But it, that's my whole class is like I'm like, listen, y'all like we Hollywood and international cinema has really ridden horror and monster movies for the ent- entirety of cinema. And uh, I just sort of teach them that they're not just B level films. And a lot of people get their start. Like Rennie Harlan got his start on, like he directed a movie before him, but prison was a hyper low budget movie. And, you know, you look at all the directors, like famous directors, they get in with horror, then they can kind of branch out. So I, I just sort of teach that. And then I go, let's watch deep blue sea. You know, I, I, I pull a hot fuzz and I'm like, which movie should we watch? Double header, deep blue sea or deep blue sea. <laughs> and, then, and then we watch deep blue sea. But yeah, that's my whole class. So. John, uh, same question. Have you, have you taught deep? Blue I have sea? not. Uh, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I saw it once in the early two thousands, probably and then once a few days ago. And uh, no, I have not, I have not thought of it as a, a useful tool for teaching theology, but I do think it's interesting all the same. Like there was a lot of, it's, it's kind of hard to um, put this in context, but like there was a weird kind of pop culture Christianity happening in the late nineties that this kind of fits into. Um, it also fits into like LL Cool J's own sort of brand of pop culture Christianity. And uh, I do think it's interesting that like it's a big part of his survival technique is to like call on God <laughs> and to survive. And he survives to the end and he makes it and he kills the shark with a with a with a cross to the eye. And like 
that's there's some there's some like interesting propaganda going on here um but i also wonder if it's like part of again rennie harlan sort of being like finding these interesting ways to appeal to as many people as possible in this like very weird movie that that was you know trying to stand out in a very crowded field so and and think about silliness yeah a gigantic shark has preacher in its grasp yeah preacher grabs like the yeah. shark bleeding profusely uh, grabs the cross tat a, a cross necklace from yeah. his thing and starts stabbing like there's cheekiness in that like there's <clears throat> you're going oh man preacher stabbing a shark with a cross yeah. like this is i mean it's Chekhov's cross i guess uh, and and also this is really random but we on uh, deep blue sea the podcast we had fred topple on who was at the preview screening of deep blue sea that led to saffron burrow's character being killed and reshoots oh, that yeah. led to yep. he's one of he, he he and his people were the ones who were like she needs to go so then she didn't even know she was killed in the movie and then <laughs> they went in la and reshot some scenes with ll uh because originally a saffron who shot the shark while well, ll lived but he just laid there bleeding like he didn't do anything at the end and at yeah. the end they they like took her out like via they like erased her from the final when it's just the two of them but they, i know someone who was at that disastrous screening where people were booing that she lived and then they just gave LL more to do. But that's how much people loved him. I'm telling you, you should have seen people in the theaters. They were, they were just cheering. Everyone's going, go LL. No one knew who Thomas Jane was. And so I do remember yeah, a bunch, a yeah. bunch of people going like, go white boy. Like that's what they were yelling. Like no one knew his name. A lot but of everyone, people still don't know who Thomas Jane is. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I do this. Cause I've only seen this movie once, but I still, every time I see him, I go, Oh, Mickey Mantle. I've seen 61 yeah. once, maybe yeah. in his entirety, maybe not. And I Barry, also remember Barry Pepper, right? Is the one Barry Pepper is Roger yeah. Maris. Yes. But I just, I think of him, I'm like, Oh, Mickey Mantle. Like uh, I have no affiliation toward the movie 60. I'm a Yankee <laughs> fan, obviously, but like, it's, it's not like, I'm like, Oh yes. My favorite film 61 starring my favorite actor, Thomas Jane. I will forever think of him as Mickey Mantle. No, I just like, Oh, Hey, Hey, there's the Mick. Okay. <laughs> Thomas Jane is physically great in this movie. I don't think it's his best work as an actor by any means. And I, I think if this is what you think of Thomas Jane as being from, you should see more of Thomas Jane's work. He's a, he's a, he's a fine actor. Speaking of guys that kind of look like that, do you think Guy Pierce is handsome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course he is. Thank you. But yeah. in an ugly kind of way, don't you think he's kind of ugly handsome? No. Okay. I think he's a handsome, I think he's a hey, handsome man. dude. Oh, Lockout. We got, we got we got me and yeah. me and BJ in one corner and you and Mark in the other corner. Yeah, we're that's, but our corner is in outer space in a prison, so like that's where that's, we're that's, where we're hanging that's out. Fair. I'm so happy that you brought up Ravenous because I talk about it all the time because <laughs> because Samuel L. Jackson is a cannibal in this movie, and I have a theory that he is a Wendigo because <gasps> he was like he's like we went into the eight of us went into that. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot and like, about and that. Only, that and only plot. Yeah. And only three of us came out. Because we ate the others, like they, he is. <laughs> no, they go. didn't. They would not talk about what happened to the others. Yeah. That's very specific. Yeah, <laughs> like, but but you know, <laughs> but we won't talk about it. You you ate Hank and Steve and Larry. Come on, and so yeah, he's a, he's a cannibal. So Ravenous and Deep Blue Sea do have a nice kind of through line where there's a couple Wendigos in it. So that makes and and happy. also and also as movies they play with a lot of genres um, <laughs> and sort of fluctuate between genres pretty readily. What if you swap scores? Oh, the bizarre like banjo Damon Albarn score in Deep Blue Sea. Um, I, oof, someone should do that. I <laughs> I um I I do want to say. So you asked about the things that annoyed me. The other thing that I just I don't like is I I don't I don't like uh, uh, Saffron Barrow's dying. 
I, I, I it doesn't work for me at all. Uh, it happens so quickly, and I know why because I know why cause it was part of that reshoot and whatever, and it had to be sort of edited in. But it, that to me is like, it's 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 still it's it's funny sort of when it's just the two of them at the end being like, well, fuck this job or whatever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they play it fine. But I don't think I think it does a disservice to the character. And the people who were like, well, she's the villain. I'm like, no, I mean, she's not really the villain. Like she's, it's more complicated than that. And it's it just, I, I don't know. It, it felt gratuitous and sort of nasty. And I, and I get that it happened because of the audience test screening, but I, I still doesn't sit well with me at all. It, there's not much joy to be had from it. And it is ultimately a very pointless <laughs> sacrifice. Yeah. And, and I mean, listen, I'm not a scientist. I'm assuming you two aren't as well, but Correct. I don't think she ever thought that she would create genetically like sharks that are smarter than humans that can take out cameras <laughs> that can herd humans that, that don't, don't even kill humans in certain moments. They wait for them to open a door to flood the facility further. Like when you're doing these tests on sharks, you're like, all right, maybe the shark can count to three. Like, I don't know. Maybe the shark can put a block in a wall. You know, it's, that's what you're thinking. Like, I don't know. Like maybe I can play, I don't know, volleyball or wait, water polo with this thing. You're not like it's going to take down the entire facility with a really coordinated plan that is, you know, essentially, you know, like Arnold and his commandos from Predator killing us. Like, so I don't. Yeah, she made him smarter and she broke the Harvard law, whatever. But <laughs> the, yeah, the Harvard law. Yeah, yeah. You never Harvard know. Concord. Yeah, Har- like, you you never know that you're going to do that, right? Yeah. Like you're you're just yeah. Like, listen, I was too good. Like I, I, I didn't, we, Stellan Skarsgård and I are, we were too good here. Like I don't, they never anticipated that. So yeah, I mean, it was bad and I think it was a little, I mean, it's very 99, very probably relax, reactionary. Yeah. But I do love yeah. when the shark walks up to her and the shark sort of just looks at her and does this sort of like eye blink, like it, it's eye sort of mo- it has like a couple, I don't know what it does, but it looks amazing. And then just chomps yeah. on her. Yeah. Uh, but I did feel bad for her, though. I like that you said shark walks up to her. I think that's a very appropriate <laughs> for her. Well, like what's a, like it saunters over. It's kind of like, oh, hey. it's like, oh, hey, no, I didn't swim. It was I, more I, of like a I, sachet. I, I, I do like that, like with seemingly 15 minutes left in the movie, Michael Rappaport's like, all right, it's time to get real about the science of sharks. He's like, you know, human they can swim two feet a second. A shark can do 50. I'm like, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but like, it seems scary. Sounds so, like, terrifying. Michael yeah. Rappaport, I believe you. Thank you for waiting this long into the movie to figure out like why we should be scared of sharks. Oh, they're 25 times faster than we are. Got it. Okay. That's all I need. Like it comes so late in the movie. Like we don't need it. We know that sharks are fast and we should be scared of them. But he's just like, all right, here's the science of sharks. It's like, okay. And the other thing that I, I, speaking of Rappaport that I love about this movie is that like, again, as a movie that is as much about, that kind of movie in the 90s is anything else is like that Rappaport plays the Rappaport character like it's just you know like that's the sort of role that he was playing all the time and it's it's so like effortless and great and so perfectly cast and I wish he were I wish he survived too but I knew he wasn't going to I don't have a ton of like affiliation with him like I haven't seen him in a ton of things but just thinking about his scene his audition scene in True Romance just makes me smile where he's like driving that fake car and he's so bad at it but like it's just so good and he gets the part like it's just man I love him he was playing as uh, – there's a show with John Favreau called Dinner for Five. And yeah. he was talking about working on that movie. And he he basically just said that – like his Saffron Bros was saying that his first night on set, he was just blaring his music and no one could sleep. So then they had to like <laughs> give him an intervention like, Mike, stop playing your music so loud. 
And and also too, like Samuel Jackson is on the Deep Blue Sea commentary, and he's a lot of fun. He actually ducks out when his character dies. He thought he was just going to go out. Awesome. To, he he thought he was going out to this movie just to play golf, and he's like, I didn't play much golf, so he wasn't too happy about that. But he was just insulting Michael Rappaport for the majority of his commentary. Where did they shoot lovely. this? Was this in California somewhere? So yeah. interesting. Also, like, and and I, Mark, you probably give more to this, but one thing that I encountered, I did not know this until recently, was that the the whole infrastructure that they shot on was basically there because of Titanic. Mm-hmm. So they basically just like the robbed Titanic. Titanic. Not, not the actual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. Not, the, not the thing. Not they, the robbed, they robbed Titanic's like James Cameron's whole fucking giant rig of water platforms and shit and we're like let's make a movie there i mean what you said one that you said earlier i think maybe mark you steal from the best right like you know (laughs) titanic is the the movie of the 90s you might as well just take whatever oh they did water and they did this structure we could do that and and listen they learn from cutthroat island they're like rennie we're gonna put you in tanks yeah he's like all right cool (laughs) and 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 like we said the production design's beautiful and that allowed the shark's room to move i mean walt conti you know he did free willy he did anaconda these yeah. sharks could swim like 35 miles an hour. Really, like he he built these things to move and he, they built the sets for them to move around them. And so those sets at the Baja Studios, Fox Baja Studios in Rosarito, Rosarito like they really, I don't know, they, they kept the budget down because they're already there. And I think they really allowed them to make a really controlled film. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's where they shot. But yeah, they, they, they yeah, took over when Cameron left. Mark, can cool. I ask you about the end of this movie and the sequels? Because I don't think I've seen any of the sequels. John, have you seen any of the Deep Blue Seas past this no, one? No. I would assume that if you're like, I've only seen this one twice, but I've seen two eight times. <laughs> so at the at the end of this movie, they make a very, I think maybe at least now, obvious, like we can leave this open for a sequel where they're like, you're sure there were only three sharks, right? And they're like, yeah, there are only three. Yeah, three. Um, how did they... Are, do what what's like the general plot to the sequels is were there more sharks that got out is it totally unrelated to this facility like where where does the franchise go from here because i know nothing about the sequels other than the fact that they exist okay so deep blue c2 is about michael beach's character he's worried about a robot apocalypse and okay. he, all right they, they grab bull, <laughs> they grab bull sharks and with the data, they grab bull sharks instead of Mako sharks, and they make those make o's make those sharks smarter. But the problem is the bull shark she has babies, and the little babies terrorize everyone in Deep Blue Sea too. And then the guy is also taking this like limitless juice from the shark brains to make him so smart that he can prevent the robot apocalypse. Okay. And then what? Where is the threat of the robot apocalypse emerging from in this scenario? He just says it's he says it's coming. Okay. Like he, yeah, John, and, it's and, coming. And like there, there's a character called Dr. Misty Calhoun in it. Yes. Uh, there's Trent Slater. And like he's, oh. I mean, the lines in this movie, like they're going for a, a, like he's like, they're going for a joy swim. Like, what's a joy swim? So it's, it's not the same shark, but it's the same kind of like we're genetically enhancing sharks and things go bad. Yeah, but this one has babies and it's the okay. same set over and <laughs> it's the same set over and over. So they use different lighting. Of course. But the third is. one is actually uh, the third one's actually really good. It's a lot of fun. They they take this island and where, um, you know, they're, they're sort of studying like it's these marine, marine biologists. They're studying the the sort of great, great white life out there and some of the sharks who survived the you know they they freed themselves from the facility attack and like the great white sharks are actually like the good 
guys in this because they're getting killed by the bull sharks. Uh. And, it's, and it, it actually looks it, it looks really good. It's shot. Tanya Raymond is the lead in it. She was she was uh, interviewed on. Oh, she's on Lost, right? That's yeah. that's yeah. And I'm terrible at interviewees, so I think I just threw her about eight thousand curveballs. But the director John Pogue loved that because he was just laughing. So uh, like I, we brought them, like, but it's it's well made, it's well thought out, it's well mm. acted. There's a scene right where they're on a boat, and there's some sharks outside another boat, but they have a shark captive. So the guy puts a spear gun. <laughs> At the, sh- the the head of a, of one of the sharks, like you know, when you have a hostage and you put a gun on the hostage's uh-huh. head, a guy puts a gun at the a shark, and the other sharks are like, "Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa!" All right. And they they back and they back off, like they back off because they're like, "Yo, this guy's got a, a gun to Chuck's head." <laughs> and like, there's that scene, and then like, just people get swallowed whole, and it, it's well made and it's fun. So yeah, I mean, I think three is a good redemption. We're waiting to hear on four. So I'm it, excited it, for that. It sounds, it sounds a lot like the trajectory of Jurassic Park as well. Cause like in Jurassic World, when it's like the T Rex and the Raptors are the good guys now. And, you know, it's the so, abdominus, whatever the hell it is, Rex. Oh, yeah. Indom- no. Indomitable. Indomitable. Do you think, do you think so? Like Jurassic Park went to Jurassic World? Do you think we would go to Deep Blue Ocean? Deep, Deep Blue, Blue World? Ooh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, how do we do these sharks are going to take over the world. It's like, what? Like, uh, yeah. Deep blue water deep, world. Oh, the jet ski work in that would be amazing. What am, that's, uh, let's make that movie. Yeah. Water oh, world is also great. But I mean, there are gigantic monsters in water world that yeah. Kevin Costner gets swallowed whole by. And then with just a spear gun, he blows a hole in its side. Sure. And then he has to swim and catch his boat, turn his boat around, which would take a while. And then he has to take the boat and then he has to, get the monster which is sinking to the bottom of the ocean and then cut some meat out of it and then it's great whale fall a lot of the animals <laughs> on the bottom of the ocean will eat well but he only takes like a few pounds of meat because he's not salting it so he kills like a gigantic majestic sea beast that's sort of cruising around for like 20 pounds of meat and you've covered both these movies on deep blue sea but you did you didn't, did you go chapter by chapter for these two or just do one episode on each movie oh so we did nine for deep blue sea okay. two and deep blue sea three because i hated deep blue sea two when i first watched it i really did it, it revolted me but then i after spending all the time with it I, I i was like i love this movie now so maybe like what stockholm syndrome but yeah it's 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 about a dude trying to stop an ai apocalypse by making sharks smarter and drinking limitless juice well i mean That's- we also know as we learned this week john i was looking on letterboxd uh just at deep blue sea and i saw that mark who again well, i will say the same phrase made a living with this movie gave it yeah. four out of five stars I'm like mark what you gotta what what are you doing man you gotta fix this and he, he bumped up to five of course because how can mark offmeyer not give this movie five stars but back in 2012 he just said i'm gonna defend this movie if you give it four stars i was like well okay okay yeah, i think i thought you liked while- this movie I'm telling you, I think for a while I got into the mindset because I adored it. Like I said, it was my first v, uh, DVD. I adored this movie and I, I talked to everybody I could. But I think for a while I was in this sort of it's so bad, it's good mindset. Yeah. And then I watched it again. I'm like, wait, this is badass. Like, this isn't just so bad. So I think I did have a bit of epiphany around 14, 15. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I, I fell into that trap for a little bit. In the, office space par- in, the, in the office space parlance, we, fl- we fixed the glitch. Oh, so <laughs> 39 doors are opened in this movie. What's your favorite? <laughs> what's your favorite door opening scene? I ranked them all oh, uh, for movies, Lord. films, and flicks. I did, the one that I like, the one that's going to stand out to my mind is when it, the water pressure is literally blowing the screws out of the door. Does that count as one of the doors? 
Yep, that door gets opened. I like that door. That's one of my, that, that might be my favorite door opening. I love it. John? Um, just because I'm claustrophobic, I like when they open the, uh, the, 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 the ceiling hatch as they're escaping, the three of them, uh, and swimming upwards, uh, because I, I feel very satisfied when that happens, because I'm like, <laughs> oh, good, now they can get out, and uh, they're not going to die and drown. Mark, you, yeah, Mark, what's the best and the worst door opening, in your opinion? All right, so the best one is when the Gen 2 shark sneaks into the flooded kitchen. And it's like LL, oh, has, his, yes. LL has his back turned and all of a sudden the kitchen, the kitchen yeah. door is open yeah. and he doesn't even notice. And you're, uh, uh, in my head, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this is this is absolutely <laughs> incredible. And then the worst one, it's when um, when Sherman Preacher Dudley takes his cake out of the oven. So he does close that door, the oven door. Mm, okay. It's a nice kick. He does a good yeah. kick. But, you know. It's just an oven opening. Not a lot of payoff. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's not as exciting as a later oven when he actually gets into the oven, right? Like that's a, that's a more high stakes, um, a better door open. Absolutely. But yeah, 39 doors. I was watching this and I was like, there's a lot of door opening in this movie. I'm going to count and rank them all. Is that what the Hitchcock movie, the 39 steps is about? (laughs) 39 steps to opening a door 39 times. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, deep blue sea is a direct sequel to that movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you got to keep the 39 and it's the title was the 40 steps. Yeah. <laughs> well, the shark is 26 feet as opposed to 25. Yeah, I got a question oh, yeah. about the answer to why the fuck is it called Deep Blue Sea? Like, what a fucking stupid title. I I I I I hate that. It should be called Alzheimer Sharks or Aquatic Deep. Park. Big Brain or, Sharks or Jurassic Sharks. Because it's the Deep Blue. Right? They want freedom. They want to go into the Deep Blue Sea. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's uh, maybe they wrote maybe that song "Deepest Bluest" was laying around for a while, and then they're like, "Wait, I like you think? That. Wait, hold on, you think no, LL no, no, no. wrote a song <laughs> where the hook was my hat is like a shark? They're trying like, to get the what? Breakfast at yeah. Tiffany fans to to like see this movie. Uh, the wait, something? Oh, brother, that song when I listen to it now, yeah, I just don't like it. No, it's, I, not it's, good. Just, it's it's so fucking catchy. I mean, it's always it's hard catchy, to not but that doesn't make it good. Like, oh, like it's hey hey guys, like hey, what about Breakfast at Tiffany? Yeah, there's a book yeah. I kind of like she it. She said it's better than Wonderwall. Let's be honest, John. I I don't want to ask Mark this question because it's going to go off. We're gonna I don't we don't have another hour and a half for him to answer no, this question. But do true. you have a favorite creature feature? Oh, and you know, we've talked about crawl too much, but I'm curious about John because I don't really I don't. This is a part of John's filmography that I don't yeah. know. Yeah, like do you have like Gator I will say, rules, like I have, crawl is great. I have a bunch that like. So I'm going to give you my one that's like of of the movies that I think this is part of that genre that I yeah, loved okay. from the mid '90s. So obvi- like, obviously, like I love the you know I love like Frankenstein and I love like Aliens and that yeah, those are, that's boring. That's boring, right? Um, the one that I just love from this from from that, that this is one of those movies that's sort of paying homage to is the Relic. Uh, I love the relic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man. In the relic. Okay. Mark knows what I'm talking about. It's so fucking good. <laughs> like so. Like, are movie. you saying that like like in terms of again w- said with endearance or in in endearment? Yeah. Endearment. Endearance. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Like a schlocky kind of B movie sort of. It's very kind of in this vein. It's very well crafted. Um, it's completely fucking insane. Ooh. But it plays good. with it plays with claustrophobia really well. Um. 
it's just yeah it's 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 great what i don't what what i don't yeah what 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 confuses me is that like i think objectively movies are better now than they've ever been because like people are better at making movies the technology is better whatever but i feel like the average movie today is bad and the average movie in the 90s is is good like i i don't understand maybe it's just like a nostalgia thing but like the the relic just seems like a lot of movies now I like know a lot more movies now than there were then. I also like, think it's a. I think it's billions of movies. I think it's an issue when a movie like what movie did I just watch that I that no one talked about? Oh, Causeway. And I'm like, this is a great movie, and oh, yeah. no one talks about. I know got an, nominated for an Oscar, but I'm just like, no <laughs> one talks about Causeway. And like, if this came out like five years ago, people be like, oh, did you see Causeway? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the buzz from Lawrence though, because she remember she made that comment with Viola Davis about being the first action star and like I think oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the buzz on her is just so bad that no one really watched it. But Causeway is brilliant and her performance is wonderful. Her physicality yeah. is great and Byron, Brian Tyree Henry is wonderful. Great yeah. drunk acting and Otessa Moshfag, the screenwriter, wonderful writer, love her. Oh, heck yeah! But yeah, no one really talked about Causeway. No. But the, and it's, but the it's relic, a great movie, M- museum horror. Is the yes. Yeah. yeah, and it's Penelope Ann Miller and yes. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Linda yes. Hunt. James Whitmore. Yep. All right, yeah. Mark. I don't want to. I don't want to leave you out. Quick answer. Do you have a favorite schlocky B creature feature? Like a, a schlocky B? Well, not schlocky, but like you know, on par. Like not in, like Jaws. Relic, not like Alien. Not genre. Yeah, something that's just like oh, like people. A, a movie that people might not think is a great movie objectively okay. on its surface. Well, crawl. Crawl. Because listen, as a twelve point five million dollar budget. Like when you learn about the making of that movie, I think it's twelve point five or fourteen. What he's able to do on such a budget with BPEP, yeah. hey BPEP, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and you know I'm from Florida, so like I know all that feels familiar. So it's yeah, I would say that just because it's I think it's a miracle for the budget. I also think Piranha 3D is a nasty, nasty movie. Oh God, yeah, uh, but <laughs> but it's like gleeful in its exuberance and and going for it it's just such a nasty movie but alejandra aja is just he he juggles it really well so yeah, do yeah. that double double feature listen like i don't know it's hard to recommend prana 3d to somebody because they're like mark i hated on. watching that movie but like oh, yeah. i thought it was great <laughs> yeah right it's nasty isn't it like it's, it's like it's so bad yeah. Uh, yeah 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 and but it i think it revels in it and that's why it works sure sure yeah, yeah. so those two cool yeah. uh are we are we ready for my end of the yeah, let's, do it. let's do it all right so now mark i think i know the answer to this one but uh we're going to if if the movie that we're, we spent the last hour and a half talking about is the answer we can skip that but do you have a favorite movie from the year 1999 okay well so that this one's the easy answer so what i'll do can yeah, i, we'll, can we'll, I it will exempt this one yeah oh man it comes down to like ravenous drop drop dead gorgeous but i think election okay uh-huh. Uh, that okay. movie, watching that when I was 17, I feel like I was on its wavelength and it made me feel good. Like it's just watching, like, and I, I never thought Reese Witherspoon was a villain, by the way. That's such an odd narrative. Like it's a high school girl who's like taking advantage of it. But like, it's just watching Chris. Chris Klein. Yeah. Chris Klein. You, you like, just, yeah. Marcus in the midst of watching all of the four current Chris's, all of their movies. And so he's got all different Chris's <laughs> on the brain. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Chris Klein. And just I don't I I like it I I like Election I think it's I think it, I think Reese Witherspoon's incredible Matthew Broderick's good it sort of takes you down there but also you know yeah so I'll say Election 1999. Now, 
do you have a favorite movie of all time? I know that might be difficult for someone like you, who I called in the writer for the last two fast episode, a cinematic optimist who likes most movies. But is there a movie that you would say that people are like, hey, Mark, what's your favorite movie of all time? You're like, it's uh, Dr. Strangelove or being there. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Good choices. Like strong that. sat, strong satire. Yep. Peter Sellers. The, the, I, I think about being there a lot. Yeah. It's a great movie. Uh, and I, I, you know, hey Dimitri, can you can you turn down the phone? Uh, turn down the music. Like it's. Uh, so I would say those two. I mean, I love Jaws. I love Deep Blue Sea. But I think those and Royal Tenenbaums is up there too for me. Okay. But I, I don't know. Some about being there and Doctor Strange Love that just hit me. So I'm gonna say those two. Fair, cool. I'm into it. And Too Fast, Too Furious. Of course. It's incredible. It's it's so I, Florida. I hated it so. Much. Oh man! At the end of it. <laughs> Uh, you know what I love? At the end of it, Paul Walker and Tyrese are so beat up that they can't even get out of their car. It's yeah. up to Eva Mendes <laughs> to save them. Like it's so anti Fast and Furious that, and the family in it, it's like actual friends and like the the unit they form a family, and that's what yeah. the movies the, sh- I, the movies I've, all about. I, I've seen one of the Fast and Furious movies, and it's that one. And yeah, I, like I a day before, because... <laughs> a day before we were supposed to record, our guests backed out, and I'm like, John, I know that you have said to us you don't like these movies, you don't want to watch these movies, you've never seen any of these movies, but will you watch this one? It's one you can see without prior knowledge. It's probably not the best one to see as your first one, but like, you're like yeah, sure. And then you came on, you're like. That was maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. We're like, all right, well, let's talk about it. John Singleton is, you listen to his commentary. You might like it more. Because I might. I like John Singleton. I, yeah. I was, I was that, when I saw he directed it, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how is this oh, possible? Uh, yeah, did, did not like, but I, I, I will eventually one day see all of those movies and, and develop a different opinion. Well, you know, if you want to do a ride along lap with us, you know where yeah. to find us. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. One of these days I'll do it. But Anyways. being there, I talk about it a lot. I love it's the ending. Movie. And so it's it's great though. Just an idiot steps out of his not an idiot, but you know, a guy steps out of his house for the first time, then becomes like one of the elite in the yeah. government because he says a bunch <laughs> of stupid stuff. It's so devious and so great, and he's so yeah. perfect. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Have you seen that, Joey? No, I just added it. To, so I'm I'm a I, this is too long. I, no, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, guys. Lo- this is yeah. what happens to all my. No, episodes. no, no, no. It's not not that this episode is too long, but my explanation for what I was yeah. going to do is too long. So just no, not yeah. yet. I will say not yet. Good movie. Anyhow, all right, uh, we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, Mark, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's so, it's 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 lovely. We've had a couple episodes in a row where like people have been really passionate about the movie. That's that's really been a fun round. Uh, I've left out so much. I know you have, but you have an entire podcast where you just talk about these movies so people can go listen to um, the rest of it. I know you've left out a lot, but we, we will have you back to talk about a totally different movie at some point. But um, would you like to tell people where to find your your various endeavors, including your podcast that is entirely <laughs> devoted to this movie and its sequels? Yeah, I mean, Deep Blue Sea, the podcast is everywhere. So just type that in. Connor, the podcast is everywhere. Movies, films, and flicks. Movies, films, and FLX. That's everywhere. We were just number two in India, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah number one in Belgium recently. That made me happy. I'm big world. I'm like the Paul Thomas Anderson of, no, I'm the Paul W.S. Anderson of podcasts. Like, <laughs> I'm big internationally, and that makes me very happy. Uh, and then let's see. I also work for. Uh, screen junkies. So I got a John Wick video coming out soon that'll come out with the honest trailer. And then I have a Dragon Ball Z video coming out 
for them. And I'm currently working on the Chris one. And I got another, I got, I got another good one. You're going to like a lot, Joey, based on your other podcast. I got to analyze all those movies and then film theory. I got some videos coming out for them. So cool. Uh, go, go check those out. And then very cool. I'm missing something, but whatever. Yeah. Rotten tomatoes. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Rotten tomatoes, the versus video. And then the, the articles are right for them. And also, uh, back in maybe 20, 2019, I recorded a deep blue sea commentary by myself and it's terrible. Awesome. And I released it on movies, films and flicks. So if you ever want to listen to something horrifying where you can actually hear somebody sweat, nice. L- listen to that commentary. Don't do it, but I put it up anyway. Cause I'm a maniac and I spent the time doing it. So I released it. So, if you yeah, just like hang out on the internet, you're going to find Mark at some point. I, think it's- <laughs> I literally found him by Googling uh, something about Fast and Furious. And I found like a, a Reddit post where he like quantified things. I'm like, I yeah. don't know who this person is, but I got a message Lundgren's front <laughs> kick on Reddit. And now here he is. I feel like I'm that guy. Yeah. Uh, like, like I really do. Cause people, they know Lundgren's front kick or they know film theory or they know like my Tom Cruise running stuff. So, but like no one knows Mark Hoffmeyer. They're like, oh, what movie? You know, like, but then they're like, oh, I've read you. So it's kind of a good feeling to, yeah. to meet those people. You're the right kind of famous. You can yeah. go out to eat without anybody asking for your autograph, but like they all know who you are. I love it. I just want to stay. I traveled for years of my life on film sets and everything. So I just like staying home and writing stupid stuff. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> staying home rules. Uh, Mark, a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, go watch Deep Blue Sea if you haven't seen it already. It's really good. Um, unless you don't like watching people get eaten, in which case you might not like it so much. But if, you, if you're if you okay with that, it's a great movie. I will say that our, our next movie is going to be a lot more family friendly. And I, try, I, I, had, I had an idea how to tease it. I can't I can't do what I want to do so I'm going to do something new so here we go. Yep. <laughs> and look out for frogs. Oh no, you're I'm going to have a flashback to Queen in that theater. <laughs> we'll see you next time. And I said what about breakfast to Tiffany she said I think I remember